chapter 21, as you know. Yes, ma'am. Oh, oh, Cobus, uh, do you mind? Um, we're going to embarrass you. Can you just stand up and identify yourself? And uh, you, you, so that, thank you. Go ahead. Come, come up here. Absolutely. You could take 31. <laughs> um, since being involved with Sagemont when, uh, when you were busy developing the new auditorium, um, Vita and I became part of the whole family. And, um, and when she became very ill, she became part of the prayer list in Sagemont. And I know of many people who prayed together with us for Vita. And we prayed for a long time that the Lord would heal her. And I believed that the Lord would heal her. And I remember one day, about two weeks before she went home, I was praying on the roof of our house. We've got a kind of a roof garden. And I was praying for her healing, and it was as though the Lord said to me, Corbus, are you praying for Vita or are you, or are you praying for yourself? And the, <clears throat> the knowledge came to me that if he came to take her today, our prayers would be fully heard and fulfilled. And she was ready to go. She was waiting for me to accept it. And I just want to say thank you all so much for those who prayed with us. And... Um, the Lord has saturated our whole family with his peace. Um, we miss her, but, but we have peace. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Wonderful man of God, Vida, just a wonderful woman of God. In his presence, think about it now. You know, we had a revelation conference, which I personally found to be so wonderful and stimulating this last week. There are many questions, aren't there, about the unfolding of biblical prophecy. But a person like Vita is now an expert on it. Did you know that? Now there's no, we have questions about how does this work? How does that work? Think about it. She knows now more about the book of Revelation than even our expert guest speaker last week or any of us. This is the joy we have of being in the Lord's presence in due season. We're not allowed to rush it. We have to wait our, <laughs> we have to wait our time. Don't you like the way Cobus speaks? I love that uh, Brooklyn accent. It's just <laughs> reminds me of home. <laughs> Folks, we're in Genesis chapter 21, as I mentioned, and we'll pick up where we left off. That would be verse 13. In theory, we'll finish it today. Brother Chuck will take us into Genesis 22 next week, which is a magnificent chapter. Folks, you need to defend me against that guy. He accuses me (laughs) of plotting and scheming so that I time it uh, so that the most difficult texts land on him. There's some truth to that. But but next week is Genesis 22. It's a great, great chapter. You know, that's where Abraham is called upon to offer his son Isaac in sacrifice. So, you need to tell him what a good guy I am to leave him with that magnificent chapter. Please help me out and also pray for his salvation while you're <laughs> at it. 
Okay, so here, Genesis 21, verse 13, and of the son of the maid. Who's the son and who's the maid? Ishmael and Hagar, just to review. Uh, Abram and Sarah had no children. They wanted one badly. God promised a child, even advanced beyond their childbearing years. They didn't want to wait on God. They came up with a scheme for Abraham to father a child through a slave from Egypt, Hagar. How could you do this? Culture accepted it. Bible did not. Culture did only. And so Abram went into Hagar and she conceived and bore a child, Ishmael. Well, there was conflict, as you might imagine, in the household. Sarah, just overcome with jealousy, gave Hagar such a difficult time. Hagar ended up leaving earlier on in Genesis. We read about this. She was met by an angel of the Lord who told Hagar to go back. Well, Sarah's jealousies flare up again, and she finds Ishmael poking fun, mocking Isaac, Isaac was the child of promise. Remember God said, I'll give you a child, and that was Isaac. If only they had waited. So there got to be conflict between, you could say, the child of promise, Isaac, and the child of flesh, Ishmael. Doesn't mean one was better than the other, by no means, I don't mean that. When I say child of the flesh, I mean one was sort of a product of human innovation, and timing, not God's, that's Ishmael. Isaac's origin is attributable not to any human endeavor, but only to God fulfilling his promise. Hence, he's called the child of, of promise. So there's conflict between the two of them. And as you recall, uh, Sarah once again says, to Abram, get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. You know, they're giving Isaac, uh, my son, and the child of the promise a hard time. So I think, regrettably and reluctantly, Abraham does this and So we pick up the action now. Verse 13, the son of the maid, that's Ishmael, as you correctly identified him. Um, God says, I'll make a nation also because he is your descendant. God says to Abraham, I'm going to take care of Ishmael and his descendants because he is, in fact, your, your son. Anybody know what people group emanates from Ishmael? Say again. Yeah, Arab people groups uh, begin their line here through Ishmael and then later through Esau and so on. Just sort of keep that in mind. So verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water. Isn't that an unusual phrase, a skin of water? Think of it as a bottle. I mean, that was their vessel. They carried in the skins of animals, uh, wine, water, other beverages, quite an effective container. Think about it. You take a goat, maybe... Uh, cut off its legs and seal the openings, cut off its head. That's its spout. Clean it up a little bit and you put beverages in there and throw it over your shoulder and there there you have it. And that's how they did things. So he's going to send them away, as it says, with a skin of water. And uh, she, Hagar, put them on her shoulder and gave her the boy, sent her away. She departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Has anyone ever been to Beersheba? Beersheba, been there. Oh, you people have. Um, it's a real place, is it not? This is not Greek mythology, folks. Beersheba is a real place. You know where it is? It's in southern Israel. And Beersheba uh, is a place you're hearing about all the rocket attacks and so on. 
Beersheba is a place that receives a number of the rocket fire. When we talk about southern Israel, it's usually in this area, Beersheba. Have you heard the biblical expression from Dan to Beersheba? Uh, Beersheba was the ancient southernmost uh, city in Israel, and Dan, the northernmost, sort of at the Lebanese border. And when we go to Israel, I tell people we're going to go from Dan to Beersheba, which sounds like I'm hyping it, but I'm not. It's easy to do because it's a small, it's just a dinky little country. I mean, you can cover from Dan to Beersheba in less time than it would take you to get from here to Dallas. Although I don't know why you would want to go to Dallas. <laughs> yeah, Houston should be the capital of Texas. Don't you think? Let's start a movement. So anyway, uh, uh, Beersheba is... Uh, where she wandered about. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. She said, don't don't let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Verse 17, God heard the lad crying. By the way, that's what Ishmael means. And God hears. Ishmael. God heard the lad crying. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. That is the most oft-repeated commandment in the Bible. Did you know that? Do not fear. Which implies that we are that is what we are most prone to do. We're afraid of everything, aren't we? I am, you are. We're just afraid of everything, Mike. Oh, that's a good question. Mike is wondering about how old was Ishmael? Probably about 17. Because Abram is 100. Um, a promise was made to him, uh, or Ishmael was born when he was 86, 14 years ago. Isaac, we read last week, was weaned off his mother's uh, breast. In Hebrew culture, that's about age three. So he's probably a teenager at this point. Good, good question. So... Um, Do not fear, the angel says, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And God has kept his promise. The Arab peoples of the world emanate, as I mentioned, from Ishmael. In fact, what God is doing here is renewing his promise made to Hagar. Way back in Genesis 16, the last time Hagar fled uh, from her her mistress, from 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 Sarah. And this is what God said in Genesis 16, verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Wow. That doesn't sound like a very complimentary thing, does it? But it actually is, in a way. And, you know, a donkey in the Middle East is a noble animal, (laughs) held in high esteem. A donkey uh, moves from place to place. A donkey is free-spirited and provides movement and mobility. A donkey is well thought of in the Middle East. This was not an insult in any way. Now, there is something about a donkey. They're quite stubborn. It's true. Uh, they're pugnacious. Um, they're un, 
yieldy at times. They do their own thing. And uh, this is not true of every Arab person by no means, but there is a character, uh, I think, that God is giving us a hint about with regard to um, the Arab nations of the world, a, uh, an interest in freedom, an interest in uh, movement, um, um, a little bit of a pugnacious and independent spirit. Um, it's very hard to negotiate um, peace with certain Arab entities. There's quite a pugnacious spirit. For instance, um, Egypt is trying to bring Israel and uh, Hamas back to the so-called peace table. It's not actually a peace, peace talk. It's a cessation of hostilities talk. Israel's played quite a good role in this. Uh, try to broker some some measure of peace, uh, and it hasn't worked. Uh, Hamas has left the bargaining table, I don't know how many times. It's sort of a pugnacious spirit. I mean, the demands are, are quite substantial. Uh, build us an international airport, build us a harbor, remove the blockade, no military presence. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Israel's demand... Uh, extend to us a right to live. Did you know that's the precondition for Israel to make peace? That's it. Just recognize our right to live. Somebody said if Hamas put down their arms, there would be peace. If Israel put down her arms, they would be wiped out. So Hamas keeps leaving the, you know, the peace table. It's just a pugnacious spirit. It's a little hard to negotiate peace with people who are unyieldy and un, unwilling um, even to rec- I mean would we do that how do you how do you negotiate how do you have peace talks with someone who doesn't recognize your your right to live it's interesting it seems to me that precondition has to be met but anyway okay so god says way back in genesis 16 he'll be a wild donkey of a man his hand will be against everyone Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. And this is in little embryonic form, giving us an idea of the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs even today. He'll live to, he'll be in conflict with his brothers. Uh, um, the Jews and the Arabs are, are family. Did you know that? Isn't that odd? But it's just really true. And you, you uh, uh, I mean, Ishmael and Isaac were brothers. They had the same father. And, and and it says here, you know, the Ishmaelites will settle to the east of his brothers, and that's where most of the Arab nations are, you know, to the east of Israel, Jordan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq, and all the rest. Not Iran. Did you know Iran is not an Arab nation? It's a Persian nation. Iran is Persian. Anyway, uh, that's sort of what it says. So this gives a, a little bit of a hint at the conflict between the, the, the parties down to this uh, very day. You know who's to blame for it? Uh, Abraham and Sarah are to blame for it. I don't want to unduly dump on them because they share the nature we have, but good night. They simply did not wait on God to deliver the child he promised. Isn't that interesting? Uh, they didn't wait on God. They, they, they essentially said, you know, God promised us this child. Why don't we help? You know, God's busy. He's got stuff going on. 
We can help him. After all, it is his will for us to have a kid. Let's work it out. So they came up with this scheme for Abram to go into Hagar and, and have, have a child. And so that's been a terrible source of animosity and conflict between descendants of Ishmael and uh, uh, of Isaac down to this down to this very day. Shouldn't be too hard for us to understand that. I bet if we wanted to, we'd go around the room. Don't worry, we're not going to do it. You're safe. But but we could go around the room and if we each felt safe, we could share uh, something we're struggling with right now that is a result of a premature decision we made. We could go around the room and we could say, oh my goodness, I'm in a jam now because I made a relationship decision too soon to get into a relationship, to get out of a relationship, a, a job thing, an economic, a financial, whatever the deal. We could go around, we could, we, we could say, uh, most of us, if we were honest, we'd have to say, I just, I just didn't wait on God. Well, he doesn't hate you or anything, nothing like that. But there's a, there are irreversible consequences for exercising our own autonomy. You know that word autonomy? It means independence from God. By the way, that's the root of all sin. Autonomy. It's, it's essentially us doing our own thing. Doing our own thing. I do it, you do it. That's the nature of sin. You know, we look to God. He's a good God. He wants us to have good things. Let me help him out. This looks good. Boom. And so we're engaged in something, you know, and only to find out later, oh my goodness, it wasn't good. And now it's left an irreversible consequence. So that's what happened here with Abraham and um, Sarah. But God nonetheless promised to multiply Ishmael's descendants. And it, it, in fact, he did. Uh, one day when we get to Genesis 25, we'll read about how um, God decided to bless Ishmael with a whole lot of generations, and there's a record of the generations of the Ishmaelites there, and it talks about villages and camps and 12 princes according to their, to their tribes. That's in Genesis chapter 20, 25. And indeed, God has blessed the Arab peoples with, uh, uh, numbers of, uh, of, of descendants and generations and so on and so forth. So now back to Genesis 21, verse 19. God opened her eyes, Hagar's eyes. She saw a well of water. Did God uh, miraculously make it appear or or did he open her eyes so that now she saw what was always there? I, I don't know. But she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and he became an archer and he lived in the wilderness of Paran or Paran. Uh, that's in the northeastern part of the Sinai Peninsula. You maybe have heard of the Sinai Peninsula in the news. It's a controversial piece of real estate. Someone, Israel took it in the 67 war and, um, you know, when you hear uh, various ones like our president wanting Israel to go back to its 67 borders, this would be one of the areas uh, that would, Israel would have to give back to Egypt. So they, Egypt was one of the nations that attacked. Israel took the land. Um, and uh, our president is suggesting that Israel, to make peace, ought to, to give it back. And I use the very facetious illustration, well, maybe our president ought to... Uh, 
start a movement for us to give back te- Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California to Mexico. Don't many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brother Randy, we love Brother Randy, let me tell you. Um, so that'd be a suicide kind of a thing. And uh, uh, did, did you know uh, Hamas threatens Egypt as well as Israel? I don't know if you can do this. Um, Egypt has blocked up many, you hear these infamous tunnels? There have been many tunnels leading into Egypt as well. And Israel has, now that they got rid of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Egypt has blocked up many of those tunnels which have been used not just to bring weapons into Gaza but also for uh, Hamas insurgents to go into the Sinai Peninsula that's, and kill uh, Egyptian soldiers. So Israel and Egypt have actually had a partnership in trying to make the Sinai Peninsula safe for both and rid it of Hamas uh, terrorism. Well, that's that's very area right here where Hagar and Ishmael uh, were, Paran. That's the Sinai Peninsula. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That makes sense. She was an Egyptian lady. And so she found a life partner for him from Egypt. Verse 22, it came about at that time that Abimelech, there's a million ways to pronounce that. Abimelech, some people say. Uh, Abimelech is how, how it would be in Hebrew. Abi is like father, Melech is king, my king is father, or my father is king, that kind of thing. It probably was not a personal name of somebody, it was probably a title. It's a title, Abimelech. Abi. You know, when you're in Israel, you hear, you hear little kids call their dads, Abba, Abba. It's, it's from this Abi, Abi, father. We go to a Druze village. By the way, we're going September 8th, Lord willing. Unless World War III takes place, we probably won't go. But uh, we're going, as some of us from here, uh, September 8th. And I uh, wish you would pray for us, that God would give us opportunities to shine for Christ. And uh, amongst the people groups there, nobody's more important than any other. A soul is a soul. So one of the things we do is we go to a Druze village. This is an Arab-speaking village. The Druze are, uh, we've come to love them. We we love this people group. And uh, the leader of the community, his name is Abu Anan. Abu, father of Anan, you see. By the way, you could pray for him. If he came to know the Lord, we think the whole village would. It's one of those... Things He's just that key a leader. Anyway, uh, so Abimelech uh, and Phicol, who's the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God's with you in all that you do. That's remarkable. Because Abraham was rather imperfect. I mean, he, he lied, didn't he? He lied to Abimelech about his wife. Remember that whole scheme? You just tell them you're, you know, my sister. You're a good-looking woman. They find out you're my wife. They'll kill me. They want me to get out of the way so they could have you. Do it for me. So all this happens, and Abimelech finds out about this deception. and, And yet somehow he's able to see, even in the life of imperfect Abraham, the God who lived within. Someone said one time, we're not sinless, but we're also not sunless. 
We're not sinless as Christians, but we're also not sonless. We have him residing in us. How could almighty God, the most high God, take up his abode in our lives and it not show? Did you know it's God's intent, having saved us, to be glorified through us? Now, that's something we ought to cooperate with, but it's mostly dependent on him just to take the pressure off you and me. He's implanted, he's taken up residence in our life to manifest himself. He wants us to promote him. Hence, we're called ambassadors for Christ. We do it through declaration, but just as much, even more powerfully through demonstration of a transformed life. I wonder how you can contain Almighty God without evidence of him being there. He will give evidence, and so you see it here. Even imperfect Abraham exuded evidence of the presence of God so that Abimelech, who we'll talk in a second, is a Philistine. Abimelech, he's a non-Jew. He's not Part of the covenant God made with Abraham and his descendants. Uh, Abimelech, notice, I see that God is with you in all that you do. The assurance uh, that you and I have of blessing and of sustenance and of supply and of watch care and of compassion and of kindness and, and of all of this. The assurance is so that God in blessing us will give evidence to onlookers that God is with us. The best thing that could ever happen to you or me is when someone says, you're different. Not odd, not weird. (laughs) You're different. There's something about you. I'll never forget one time someone said to me, I don't know what it is about you. You seem to have peace that I don't have. (gasps) And I thought, that's crazy. I don't have peace. I worry about everything. What are you talking about? And suddenly I realized, oh my goodness, they saw the Prince of Peace. In me, somehow, I wasn't even aware. When that happens, you, oh God, thank you, because I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not doing so hot. You know what I mean? This is really good. You ought to be encouraged. You and I cannot glorify God the way we are. He will receive glory through us because of who He is. You see what I mean? So anyway, Abimelech sees some stuff in Abraham's life that. That he admires and, and he says this in verse 23. Now therefore swear to me here by God. Now you wonder why that's required. What's all this? You know that's essentially sign here in the presence of witnesses and a notary public. That's essentially what he's saying. You know why he's doing that? He, though he sees the evidence of God's blessing in his life. I don't think he trusts Abraham. Why should he? Abraham lied to him. He schemed him. That's a terrible, folks. We should never, ever be rebuked about our behavior by non-Christians. We should be raising the bar. When a non-Christian has to call us to task for a moral or ethical impropriety, oh my goodness, that isn't good. That isn't good. That's sort of what... That's sort of what happened. You know, our pastor says to at, at new member functions, new members come to join the church, our pastor says, perhaps you've heard him, uh, you'll never, he says to new people, you'll never have to go around town and, and hear something bad about Sagemont Church. You'll go into a business here or there and you'll say, I'm a, a new member of Sagemont Church. You'll never hear that person say, oh, Sagemont Church, they owe me something. They never paid me such and such. He says that is never going to happen because we pay our our bills. We have a good rep. Have you heard him say we got we got voted the business of the year or something? Isn't that a weird deal? 
business of the year. Not that we're a for-profit kind of a business, but I mean, it was a good, it's a sort of a compliment. Well, that ought to be true as of the corporate body. People want to hear Sagemont Church, want to have a good impression. Um, but that must be true of us as individual Christians as well. Do you know some people don't want to do business with Christians? Because they don't pay their bills. You know what I mean? Don't do that, folks. We should never, ever be rebuked by the world. Our, our, our morals and ethics ought to be raised, not lowered, not, not compromised. So anyway, I don't think Abimelech the Philistine trusts Abraham, the person who is privy to the covenant. So he says, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. See, because Abraham previously did. That you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Wants to make a deal. Abraham, God's on your side. He blesses you. I want to be nice to you so I can be blessed by God too. Let's make a deal. And Abraham says, verse 24, okay, he says, I swear it. And so then Abraham, being kind of a, a wise man, takes advantage of this opportunity. He seems to have Abimelech's ear, and so he says, verse 25, it says, Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water. Water in the Middle East is of more value than oil. My heavens, no water, no life. So uh, Abraham brings up this issue. He complains about a well of water, which he says the servants of Abimelech had seized. So there was some kind of conflict over the water. It exists down to this very day, by the way, in the Middle East. Water is such a valuable commodity. And Abimelech said, I, I, I don't know who's done this thing. You didn't tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. No, I don't know if he's telling the truth there or just whatever, being politi- politically correct. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, Abraham takes sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. You know what they did with the sheep and the oxen? Yeah, they killed him and they cut him in two. You see what it says when they made a covenant? What it means is they, they cut the animals in two. So half of the animals here, of an animal here, half over here. Then they passed through the pieces, both parties to this uh, covenant. They passed through as if to say, if either one of us violates the terms of this covenant, may it be done to us what has been done to these animals. Hence, you get the expression to cut a covenant. Have you heard that expression, to cut a covenant? That's where they get it. You cut the animals in two? May I be cut in two if I violate the terms of this covenant? So they make this, they make this deal. It's publicly witnessed and all the rest. So then uh, Abraham set seven. You, the word for seven in Hebrew is uh, sheva. I'll, I'll tell you about that, just why it's important in just a second. They set Sheva, seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you've set by themselves? And he said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it will be a witness to me that I dug this well. So uh, I've been to Beersheba, as have some of you, and uh, we were at a well, the opening to a well, which could very well be this very one that we're reading about here in Genesis 21. More than likely is. Say, so how do you know that? Well, Beersheba is now kind of a big city, but old Beersheba on the outskirts, uh, you know, it's, it's just there. 
and and there are ruins, and there is a well uh, in the middle of nowhere. So it's it's really quite fascinating when you stand there. Remember the first time I went there, I'm looking at this well, I'm thinking, holy Toledo. This could very well be the place where Abraham stood, where the well was dug. The well, which I read about way back in Genesis chapter 21. So, what do you say, brother? Oh, holy Toledo. I should say holy Jerusalem or something instead, right? So then it says in verse... um, uh, 31, then he called that place Beersheba, Be'er Sheva, well, Be'er in Hebrew means well, Sheva, of the seven, well of the seven, that's what Beersheba means, because remember the seven ewe lambs, Sheva. We Jews, if someone dies, have something called Shiva, we sit Shiva, we sit we grieve for seven days. doesn't mean you can't grieve longer, but this is a formal time of grieving where uh, those um, who have lost a loved one are home and guests come and go. Family and friends come and go. Everyone brings something to eat. And uh, helpers just lay it out on tables and you spend seven days variously crying, laughing, telling stories, uh, sometimes we sit on hard chairs, if you want to, just to express grief. Um, women sometimes choose not to wear makeup. Uh, that'll cause everyone to grieve. And, uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, we hang, uh, we cover mirrors, because it's supposed to not to be a time when you're supposed to adorn yourself. If, if you do it traditionally, that's how you do it. Sheva for seven days, bare Sheva. Well of the seven. However, it's also termed well of the oath. Why? Because in Hebrew, the term for oath or promise is Shabbat. Can you see how similar? Sheva or Shabbat. So Beersheba either means well of the seven or well of the oath, place where the oath was made by Abraham to Abimelech and vice, vice versa. It's quite a... Uh, Significant place today, Beersheba. It, it's become the chief city of the Negev, a desert. The Negev Desert uh, and is in the south of Israel. So whenever you hear of rocket attacks, you can think of Beersheba. It's, it's in this area, other areas as well, but uh, primarily in the southern Israel area. And as I mentioned, hence the expression from Dan to Beersheba. So verse 32, they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Now, some people, critics of the Bible, say this is anachronistic. And anachronism is something out of time, chronological order. They say this has got to be an error in the Bible because the Philistines did not enter the land until about 1200 B.C., and this is much earlier. Those are people who do not know what they're talking about. It it is true that the main body of the Philistines migrated to the shores of the Mediterranean around 1200 B.C. Philistines were a seafaring people, probably from the Greek islands, as in the Aegean Sea, and they left on ships and landed on the coast, the western coast of Israel, the Mediterranean Sea. Why did they come? Who knows? Earthquake, famine, 
just expansionism, who knows? The main body indeed came in 1200 BC, but there were many migrations of smaller groups of Philistines all along the historical line. And so these were Philistine people. By the way, the term Palestine or Palestinian comes from the name Philistine. Isn't that interesting? How did that happen? Well, the Romans got disgusted with the Jews because the Jews revolted against them one time. And so the Romans said, we're booting you out, and on top of it, we're renaming stuff. So they renamed Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, Aelia Capitolina. They gave it all, you know, these Greek-Roman names. And they renamed the land of Canaan, the promised land, um, Palestine, after Israel's perennial enemies, the Philistines. Isn't that interesting? It was like the Romans saying to the Jews, in your face. We'll name uh, whatever. Well, who are our enemies? If, whoever you may think our enemies are. It's like uh, we being defeated by them and then they rename the country after them. So every time we wake up, it's kind of like a reminder that we're a subjugated people. And so anyway, that's, that's where it comes from. So anyway, verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. If you have the King James Version, it'll say a grove. But you might have a subscript, a number by it, taking it to the side that it'll say, or tree, or tree. Uh, other translations specify tamarisk tree. That's probably likely. Um, he planted this tamarisk tree. By the way, the tamarisk tree has become the emblem of Beersheba today, down to this very day. You'll see it as a symbol of the city. What's so important about it? What's the point of planting a tree if there's no water? If you can't count on a constant supply of water to irrigate and sustain the life of the tree, it's rather a foolish thing to plant it. But Abraham somehow knew it wasn't a foolish thing to plant it because at this place, it says in verse 33, he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That's the first occurrence of that name for God in the entire Bible, the everlasting God. As you go through Genesis, you find Abraham referring to God in different ways. El Shaddai, God will provide. El Elyon, God Almighty. Here, El Olam, the God who has no end. El Olam, the the eternal God, the everlasting God. See, he's growing in his faith experience and discovering more attributes of Almighty God and naming them that way in worship. So now he's praising for the first time El Olam, the God who's everlasting. Why is that important? The everlasting God made an everlasting promise of an everlasting presence in this land. And to mark his faith symbolically, he plants a tree. It's not like there's a ton of water around, but at this point, Abraham is growing in faith, and he's saying, God, if you made this promise of land to us, unconditionally, irreversibly, and eternally, then I believe you for it, because you've not broken your word in any respect since I moved here from Ur of the Chaldees. Therefore, to show you faith, I will sink. He literally is putting roots down in the land here for the first time, and worshiping El Olam. Folks, <clears throat> that's important. If Abram, Abraham and his descendants are somehow no longer in the land, then that means you and I can't count on the everlasting God to keep his everlasting word. 
Because if he broke his word to Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, with regard to the land promise given in Genesis 12, if God uh, could not keep his word to them, what makes you think he's going to be able to keep his word to you and give you an everlasting presence in your place of promise, heaven, the new Jerusalem? What makes you think you could be assured of your salvation if God gave no assurance in his behavior to Abraham and his descendants that he will keep his word to them? Can you see what's at stake? This, to me, is the root of the Middle East problem. Listen, Satan read the Bible, came up with a pretty brilliant plan. If he can rid the land of the Jews, if he can exterminate them or drive them into the sea, then he leaves all the world with doubts about the character of God. Apparently, he can't be trusted because he promised this people the everlasting God, promised them an everlasting promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you and all the rest of that stuff. And so if God didn't come through there, apparently God's character is in question. So that's what's behind the Middle East conflict. It has nothing to do with oil and geopolitics. No, no, no. It has to do with Satan versus Savior. Satan is the author of lies. God speaks the truth. But if the father of lies can make God look like a liar, then our faith is in vain. And nobody should put their faith in the God of the Bible. And all Satan has to do to call into question God's character is to get rid of the Jews. And to me, this explains the irrational hatred towards my people. <clears throat> irrational hatred. Look, I can tell you this. I couldn't, uh, in the uh, an earlier class, because my wife was in attendance, and I couldn't, this is about her. But if you tell her, if the word gets out, I'll have to have you killed. <laughs> Lest she kills me. So last night she made this new chicken dish. It looked really good. So I took a bite. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in big trouble. I hate this. What am I going to do? Well, she left the room for a while, and that's why God made dogs. Seriously, I got the best fed dogs in town. So anyway, what it is... It was chicken with curry, like a curry flavor thing. Look, I eat just about anything, almost anything that doesn't move, I eat it. But curry, I just can't do curry. Now, I know curry is like a staple in, for many cultures, Indian culture and so on. Look at that. So it's perfectly reasonable and acceptable for us maybe not to like certain aspects of a, of a culture. In my case, curry. But that's a far cry from me wanting to exterminate Indian people. You know what I'm saying? Coming up with a final solution, as the Germans did, to the Indian problem. You know, let's come up with gas chambers or something like that. Can you see why I say it's an irrational hate? It's not irrational not to like the trappings of a particular cultural group. A lot of people think my people are pushy. They don't like us. We're pushy. Okay, cool. We don't like a lot of you either. <laughs> this, is, this is like a free country. No big deal. You don't have to do that. It doesn't flatter me when, when people are dishonest, you know. What is it about you Jewish people? Listen, okay, cool, that's cool. Don't marry one of us. That's all right. No problem. But, but why do you want to kill us? So that's why I say, why do intelligent people make that leap? Don't you see? It's a spiritual thing. It's, it's, uh, 
it's instigated by the evil one, the father of lies. I mean, they can get a hold on people. Arab people are not my enemy. Palestinians are not, not even Hamas. Satan is the enemy. Are you kidding me? And Satan, it has nothing to do with Jews and Arabs. It's more than that. The most high God is going to be worshipped. Satan hates that. He wants to be thought of as the most high God who receives worship. That's what's going on. All you have to do is demean this God who we have put our faith in. Make him out to be a liar. And so that's why tracking how God deals with the Jews in the Bible is so important. It has nothing to do with the Jews. It has to do with what kind of God is the God of the Bible. I can tell you something about him. He's the God of grace. How do I know that? Look how gracious he's been to my people. I can tell you something else. He's a God of mercy. How do I know that? Look how merciful he's been to the Jews. Merciful. Six million were slaughtered under the third right. Yep, yeah, but six million survived. There are 13 million Jews in existence today. How? But by the mercy of God. How has Israel emerged victorious in five or six major Middle East conflicts where they were greatly outnumbered? How? Brilliant military? Come on. Almighty God. Almighty. So I, I can tell you, based on how I see God relate to Israel, he's a God of mercy. He, he, he's a God of grace. I can tell you, he's a God who forgives. How do I know that? Look at what my people have done. I, I can tell you, he, 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 all this stuff. I can tell you, he's almighty. How do you say that? Because how, do we, how are we in existence today? You know, all this kind of stuff. So once you're position with regard to Israel becomes uh, faulty, you will have also a faulty notion of God. So I'm real concerned about something. Historically, we evangelical conservative Christians have stood by Israel. Not to say Israel is right politically in all respects. No, no, no. By standing by Israel, they're right to exist. That's all I'm talking about. They're right to exist. Historically. But do you know that's changing? Polls recently have indicated those support for Israel is remaining strong amongst older, middle-aged and, and, and more senior evangelicals. Younger Christian conservatives are now transferring uh, their allegiance from Israel uh, to the Palestinians. Now, by the way, uh, 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 you don't have to have any, hate any people group in lo- uh, while loving another. Not at all. Do you know we're not permitted the luxury of hate? I call hate a luxury because it feels good to hate. We're not permitted that. You must not love Jews more than Arabs or Arabs more than Jews. Are you kidding me? For God so loved the world. Our agenda is not political. It's to bring the gospel of peace to all people groups. So, so, so I got that. But what's happening with the younger generation, I don't mean to insult those of you who are younger, but, but if the shoe fits, wear it. Here, here's what some of the theory is. Uh, the Holocaust took place, what, 70 years ago? I know about it. Many of you know about it. Do you know the younger generation is not knowing about it? So after the slaughter of 6 million Jews, there was world sympathy for a homeland. And so, okay, go back to Israel and all this kind of stuff, you know. And so grudgingly, the countries of the world let the Jews have a, have a homeland. You know, we look, we beat them up enough that, you know, we... We slaughter them, we put them in ovens and all this, let them have a land of their own. But the younger generation is totally out of touch with what happened in World War II. In our last class, we had two World War II heroes, one a Marine and one in the Coast Guard. They're with us, but passing at a rapid rate. 
But we consider what happened in World War II, you know, our finest hour kind of a thing. Are you kidding me? It's when America got together, took a stand. The younger generation, they don't have those roots. And so they're misunderstanding. And so, and, and so what's happening is Hamas is winning the war for people's hearts through brilliant use of propaganda. They're showing the angry oppressor Israel just indiscriminately blowing up stuff with this massive arsenal of military weaponry. Good night. If I didn't know better, that would get me as well. They're looking to the, 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 the deaths of so many Palestinians in comparison to the, uh, what, not even 70 Israeli deaths during, during all this altercation. You know, you know what I mean? So people are leading with their hearts and not with their heads for crying out loud. And, 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 uh, I mean, even the United Nations wants to bring uh, Israel up on war crimes. Are you out of your mind? I'll tell you what a war crime is. It's when you indiscriminately fire rockets at a civilian population, which Hamas is doing. Second, it's a war crime when you fire those rockets from your own civilian populated areas, for crying out loud. That's like double war crime. How is it a war war crime for a nation to protect its own citizenry? What would we do, for crying out loud? There'd be an outcry. Protect us, government. Protect us. We're under fire. We're under attack. So so Hamas is winning the propaganda war in the minds particularly of our younger people. Can I tell you something? When liberals cease supporting Israel, I don't lose sleep over it. I expect them to act that way. When non-Christians cease to support Israel, yeah, cool, I got you there. What concerns me is the drift of the evangelical community. You know, when the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, ceases to support Israel, I say, well, yeah, sure. You ceased to have a high view of Scripture a long time ago. You got rid of the biblical perspective on a bunch of stuff. I expect you to be wrong about Israel. But when evangelicals are drifting, that gets me real nervous. Because the Bible still says, I'll bless those who bless thee, and I will curse those who curse thee. Those are not my Jewish words. The, those are the inspired words of, of Scripture. Let me tell you something. It has nothing to do with Israel. It has to do with the character of God. It has to do with the character of God. You see, but the Jews have rejected Christ. I understand that. But you know what he says? All day long, I stretch out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. My people. I know they're disobedient and obstinate, but don't miss part A. You know what God says? All day long I stretch out my hand to them. He doesn't say I'm finished with them because they're disobedient and obstinate. He says I continue to stretch out my hand to them. Towards what end? Romans 11. And one day all Israel will be saved. We heard a little bit about it at the Revelation Conference. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, a great question. Our brother says, the promise of the land contingent on Israel's obedience, and so he scattered them. Uh, Actually, the promise of the land was not contingent on Israel's obedience. Israel's presence in the land was. In other words, he never revoked the title deed to the land. That was unconditional. What is conditional is her presence and enjoyment of the land, and historically Israel has been pushed out or not enjoyed peace in the land for her own fault. There's always been 
a Jewish presence in the land, even when the Romans forced uh, the Jews out in A.D. 70. Always, always a remnant. How many? I don't know. A remnant? Always a remnant, Randy's saying. And the numbers, I, I, I don't know the numbers, but there's always been a remnant. Again, it has nothing to do with the stick to of the Jews. It has to do with the character of God. You know, can I tell you something? As a Christian, I have assurance of salvation. And the number one reason I do is I've seen how the character of God has played its way out with, with the Jews. He can be trusted. Tom? Tom is saying, weren't there more Jews in places like Iraq and uh, Iran, even than Palestine, for many, many years? And he's absolutely correct. This is an illustration. Do, do you know the extent of the land was to go to the Tigris and Euphrates? That's Iraq. We would not, in my opinion, have a, we would not have had to obligate troops to Iraq, nor would we have the ISIS in Iraq right now if my people, this is a tough one, if my people had obeyed God. Because then that would be part of the promised land. So, brother, this is an illustration of how they have the land, but they've never had enjoyed full extent of the land through their history. By the way, what's the parallel? Have you and I ex- uh, enjoyed the full extent of the joy of our salvation? We don't lose our salvation, but we diminish the fruit thereof in our disobedience. See the parallel? God will never withdraw our salvation. But the, the psalmist says, Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Many Christians don't have joy either. It's because of disobedience. doesn't mean they lost their salvation. They lost the joy. Israel hasn't lost the land. They lost the joy in the land. You see, so you see what God is trying to teach us uh, through Israel? I better stop. Because the next group, they're vicious. Did you know? <laughs> they just really, really mean... Yeah, did they push in? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Listen, there's, yes, sir. Oh, please do. Yes, that's exactly right. They did not do that. Yeah. I make no bones about it. The world situation is due to the disobedience of my people. And what has God done anyway? And one day, you know, he says in Romans 11, he says, don't be so arrogant, don't be arrogant. A partial hardening has befallen them until the time of the Gentiles is full, and then all Israel will be saved. That's what it says. We should pray for those people out there who are not let. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Um, what have we gotten once again? A reminder of how great thou art. You use our good deeds for good, but you can make use even of our sinful deeds because you are sovereign. Thank you, O God, for being the the ruling entity behind all that happens. Thank you and praise you that nothing takes you by surprise. Thank you for being El Olam, the everlasting God. We can count on the everlasting nature of your promises because you are the everlasting lasting God. As you have been with Abraham and his descendants, so too you are with us by faith as a result of your grace and mercy, for which we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. <laughs>